So the power that Jesus Christ offers is to take your life, whatever you are ashamed of, whatever you've done that, that haunts you, that Satan keeps bringing up to you over and over, and, and God says if you'll turn that over to him, that he will redeem your life. So here's, here's what I want to do. If, how many of my life is overwhelming right now? If you would, would you stand up? And, and here's what I want to do. I want you to look around and somebody near you, whether you know them or not, that's not the issue. I want to ask that you would pray for somebody that you see who's standing, whose life is overwhelming, and ask God to apply his power to their life. Can we just do that before we get into anything else? Just bow your heads and begin praying. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. You pray silently and then I'll lead us in a few seconds. Father, you said that if any man or woman is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, a new... Pray that you would pour out your heart and your spirit and your mercy and your grace upon these folks who are standing today. And God, I I honestly believe there's some that, that couldn't stand who are in the same situation. And we pray for them as well. God, you said that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to your followers. And so we call upon that power. We're not wise enough, and so we ask you for wisdom. We're not powerful enough, so we ask you for your power. And we ask that you give us the mind of Christ. For whatever we're going through, give us your perspective, your wisdom, so that we might give you glory and honor in the good times and in the bad times, but especially when you carry us through the overwhelming times. And we're just going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do in each of these lives. And I can't wait to hear their stories of redemption, their stories of deliverance. And we're going to give you all the glory and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We've been talking about wisdom. And we've been um, looking, last week, two weeks ago, we talked about four resolutions from the life of Moses that, that you and I need to make. And it takes, it takes God's power to make those resolutions. The Bible says that when Moses grew up, he refused to be identified with Pharaoh's court, but instead chose to identify with the people of God, knowing that he was going to get scorned. So the whole idea is when you grow up, you make choices that you're going to follow God and not the crowd. Last week, we looked at the life of Solomon, and we actually looked at it, kind of did this flying leap into the book of, of Proverbs, and we found out that Proverbs... Uh, talks all, a whole lot about wisdom. And what wisdom is, is seeing from God's perspective. But, but wisdom is just not knowledge. Wisdom is applying those principles of God to your life. And wisdom is both harder and easier than you might think. It's harder because wisdom is not just knowing the right thing to do. Wisdom is choosing to do the right thing regardless. It's easier than you might think because the power does not rest on us. The power depends on a mighty God who has already d- displayed for all to see his power over death and the grave and sin. So harder and easier. Billy Graham once said about the book of Proverbs, actually talked about Psalms and Proverbs. He said that um, years ago he made it the practice that he would um, read five Psalms a day, five, five Psalms a day, and one chapter of Proverbs a day. And here's why. He said, Psalms help us to get along with God. The Proverbs help us get along with our fellow man. And so there's wisdom, Billy, say, in, in, in both relationships, our vertical relationship, our, our 
horizontal relationships. If you need wisdom, then Proverbs is the place to go. Now, this is interesting because I've got an example here of someone who did not show wisdom. This actually comes, they don't, I guess they don't do these anymore. I used to read these all the time. There's something online called the Darwin Awards. These are awards who are given to people who most creatively remove themselves from the gene pool. I mean, just with, it, with that, I, I had to read. So here's one that, that I came across years ago, but I thought it was, it was applicable today. This is a guy who does not have wisdom, did not have, have wisdom, and he creatively removed himself from the gene pool. Um, okay, listen to this scenario. This is a true story happened in Washington State. The following mind-boggling attempt at a crime spree appeared to be the robber's first due to his lack of a previous record of violence. And since he got a Darwin Award, you know it must have been his last because of stupid choices. His target was H&J leather and firearms, a gun shop. The shop was full of customers. What kind of customers go to a gun shop? Gun-toting customers. To enter the shop, the robber had to step around a marked police car at the front door. A uniformed officer was standing at the counter having coffee before work. A uniformed officer carries what? A gun. Upon seeing the officer, the would-be robber announced a holdup. Sees the cop, announces holdup. Okay, it just gets better. He fires a few wild shots. The officer and the clerk promptly returned fire, covered by several customers who are also packing heat. <laughs> thereby removing the confused criminal from the gene pool. He was the only one hurt. Now, there's, there's a cart, uh, cartoon rendition of what happened. Now, I've got to ask you this. Why would anybody do something so stupid, right? I mean, you just scratch your head, right? If you're honest, have you ever looked at your own life, at some of the decisions you've made in the past and gone, how could I be so dumb, right? Anybody, anybody done that? I'm the only one. See, when, when you get through something, you look back and you go, oh, now I understand why I shouldn't have been in that relationship. Now I see so clearly why I shouldn't have been in that situation. Oh, if I'd have made better choices. And many of you, you've got several years of, of perspective. And, and I was telling John and Brad this week that we're, we're about the senior adults. You know, we're, we're, we're not the, the youngest and we're not the oldest, but we're getting close to being the oldest in this church, which is a good thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that fact. But we've got a few years of experience. John really liked it when I said, we're twice as old as the average age of the people in our church. He's like, man, you did not have to go there. Um, but we've got some, some perspective on life, and we look around. Actually, the reason I got into youth ministry years ago was because I didn't want teenagers to do the same thing I did. And people my age look back, and they see people in the same situations that we were in, and we go and we, we try to say something to you, and, and we don't want you to have to suffer through what we went through. And you respond... They respond to you the same way you responded when somebody said something to you back in the day. You know what it is? Butt out or whatever. It's none of your business. I love him or I love her. You don't understand. And, and you know what we say to you? So what? It's not worth it. 
and we walk away from those, those encounters and we're scratching our heads and we're going, oh, I wish they would listen. If they would listen to what I've gone through and not make the same mistakes, because see, real wisdom is not making all the mistakes yourself. Real wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. You don't have enough time to make all the mistakes. Share. Let someone else do the stupid things. You go, ooh, I'm not doing that. That's, that's some true wisdom there. And, and, you know, we go, why won't they listen? And then you, you want to know why we don't listen? Because we're stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm just being real honest today. We ask the wrong questions, we get the wrong answers, and we make the wrong decisions because we are terminally stupid. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's a great introduction, isn't it? We're stupid. But the cool thing is, there are three verses in the Bible that can radically change your future if you're willing to follow them. God wants you to have wisdom, and God doesn't want you to mess up. And, and see, this is what I want you to understand. That whole video about God makes beautiful things, you and I can't do anything about our past. Can't change it. Might as well not dwell there. Might, might as well not reside in my past because I can't do anything about it. And in fact, if I'm stuck in my past, I'm missing opportunities today that God wants me to have to reach out to others. We can't do anything about it. God has promised, though, that he'll redeem your past and he'll give you a connection point with somebody who's doing the same thing you're doing right now or you did a few years ago, and he's going to give you that opportunity to reach out and minister to them. We can't do anything about your past. But if you will learn to look at God's word and ask some questions from God's word and learn from the wisdom of God's word, you can have a radically different future. But there's that word, if... If we pay attention to what the Bible has to say, that's a huge two-letter word. I want to show you a question, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not overstating this at all. This question can foolproof your marriage, your finances, your dating life, your work life. Any moral choice you have to make, this question can foolproof it. This question um, can foolproof the gray areas of the Bible, because the Bible's not entirely clear on everything. But I have a warning for you. Even though this question could radically protect you from pain and stupid mistakes, you may resist. Why? Because we're stupid. I want to, I, I, I want, if you want to continue being stupid, then, then that's your choice, and I'll pray for you. But if you're tired of making stupid choices, then, then hang with me. These verses come from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And if you uh, follow along on a smartphone, that's on should be on you version. Um, the only way that doesn't work is if the the site is down. So all of that stuff is on there. If you have a smartphone, that's the reason you pull it out so that you can follow along. You can have it. This is the New Living Translation, and here's what it says: So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. So the Bible contrasts fools with wise people. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Did you see the question? Now, it's been five years since I have specifically taught on these verses and, and giving, given you this question. How many of you were here five years ago? I know Mike was because um, his wife has told me, I'm so tired of him asking this question. So like four of you. All right, so here we go. The question is, what is the wise thing to do? That's earth shattering, isn't it? What is the wise thing to do? How can that question possibly help you? Well, to answer that, we've got to go back. Here's what you do with Scripture. First, you have to understand what, what, the Bible was, what the writer was talking about to the original audience. 
Then you have to figure out the timeless principle, and then you have to apply it to you today. So let's go back and let's dig into this. The book of Ephesus was a letter written by Paul to the church. Uh, the, the book of Ephesians was a letter written by Paul to the church of Ephesus. It was written to a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and, and the situation was evil. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Because he says, be very careful, watch what you're doing. These are evil days, make the most of every opportunity. When, when Paul first visited Ephesus, he found a very, very religious people. He discovered that the city was famous for its temple to Artemis. Now, if you know anything about Greek mythology, you've heard of this, this goddess, lowercase g, goddess Artemis. Well, here's what was going on. Part of the way they supported the temple of Artemis was through prostitution. Part of going to church was to have sex with a prostitute, and that's how you um, supported. You raised money for the temple. And so, as you can imagine, the men of Ephesus were very religious. No one missed worship, and they didn't come for the music and the preaching, if you know what I mean. So Paul is writing to people who used to be a part of this group and now have become Christians. And some of the Christians in Ephesus were being tempted to go back to the old ways. People were saying, oh, that's, that's too traditional. Oh, that, that, what you're talking about by being a Christian and following Christ, um, that's too restrictive. We're, we're more open-minded here. We're more liberal, and, and so we're going to do some things that, that others don't do. And they were being tempted to blend immorality with Christianity. And their lives were suffering. And their church was suffering. And the name of Christ is being drugged through the mud. So Paul is, is warning people who have been a part of this saying, don't do that anymore. Don't be tempted to go back to your own lives. And so um, Paul says, be very careful. Now, I think it was July 18th. Where's Jeff? July 18th of 2008. So five years ago, his daughter Mandy was walking with her mom over here at this, you know, this RV park, just the other side of our land up at 155. They were walking about dusk. It was a Friday night, and she got bit by a copperhead. I think I've got the picture of the copperhead. When they stretched it out, it was, it was over two feet long. And so uh, Mandy was, was, got very ill. Show a picture. The next one is Mandy's feet. You'll see where she got bit. Yeah, it was bad. I was, I was reading. Jeff sent me the email again from way back then, and, and I was reading about it, and she had a horrible time. She got sick from the medicine and, and was throwing up and, and just, oh, it was a bad, bad deal. took her weeks to get over this. The first time I saw Mandy after this, my kids at that time were 12, 10, and 8, or, or, and 7. And so Mandy comes up to me, and kind of with a wild look in her eyes, she said, be very careful where you step. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, no, you need to pay attention because you do not want to be bit by. I mean, these, these were, she, was, she was almost in my face. Mandy's one of the nicest people you've ever met. But she was going, uh-uh, you need to pay attention because you don't want the consequences of being bit by a snake. So Mandy's wild-eyed warning to me about being careful and watching out for my kids is the exact wild-eyed warning that Paul is giving to the people in, in Ephesians. You don't want the consequences of not paying attention to where you step. You don't want to be bit by a snake, but you're going to get bit if you're not careful. And so he says, pay attention. Now, most people don't ask what is the wise thing to do. In fact, think about your life. When, when people look at your life, do they say, they live wisely. Do people say about your friends, man, they got a wise group of friends? Can I tell you what I think? I'm going to anyway, so just say yes. 
I think the answer is no. When most people look at our lives, they don't say, oh, that's a wise person, maybe a wise guy or, you know, other expletive. But they, they don't say they live wisely. And they don't say, man, they've got a group of friends that, that exhibit wisdom. And uh, I don't hear people asking, what is the wise thing to do? That's the best question ever. What people ask is the not best question ever. I think I, I labeled it that way on your listening guide. Really, I should have labeled this the MPQE. The most popular question ever. Youth minister for 19 years. This was the number one question I got when I was a youth minister. And and adults still ask it. They just ask it a little differently. Here is the most popular question ever. How far is too far? I mean, because teenagers all the time, okay, how far can I go in dating and it not be sex? How far can I go and it not be intercourse? That's the question that I got. And other people ask it this way. How far can I go and it not be breaking the law? What can I not report on my taxes and it, and it not be illegal? Um, how close can I get to disaster without experiencing the consequences? How far can I go without it being called sex? How far can I go without having to get married? How far is too far? And people will say, well, there's no law against it. Everyone else is doing it. Boy, there's a standard for living. It feels good. I'm not hurting anybody. So they say, in my dating life, how far can I go? In my sex life, money with, how can, how can I do these things without breaking the law? That's like saying, how, how close can I get to a copperhead snake without getting bit? Stupid people get close enough to find out. Wise people don't. Walking through life always on the edge of a cliff is stupid. How far is too far is the wrong question. Don't ask, is there a verse against it? Instead, ask, is it the wise thing to do? Because we talked about last week, wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective and doing what God says. That's true wisdom. Paul says that wise people make the most of their time because the days are evil. Now, let me ask you. We're living in 2013, and, and uh, if you believe in evolution, then we should be further along as a society and as individuals than they were 2,000 years ago. Are the days less evil in 2013 than they were 2,000 years ago? No. But let me tell you this. Our society is remarkably similar to, to what was happen, happening in Ephesus back at that time. They were not a culture that inv- in, encouraged people to do wise things. Come have sex at church. Yeah, that sounds wise. Be open-minded with us. Loosen up a bit. Our society is just as dumb as the Ephesians. So don't be foolish. And the last phrase says, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's what it means. It is possible to learn God's will. When I was a youth minister, I've shared this with you before. When I was a youth minister, I'd talk to my youth groups, and when I'd be in front of other youth groups, because I taught a lot at youth camp and, and would go to disciple nows to other churches and all that stuff, and, and I've, I always ask this question, how many of you want to know God's will? I've never had anyone, even somebody far from God, I've never heard anyone, had anyone say, nope, I don't want to know God's will. They all say, yeah, I want to know God's will. And it's possible to know it. What it means is, here's what God's will means. God has a plan for your life. And his plan is better for, for, uh, for your life than your plan. And his standard for your life is a higher standard. God has something different in mind than the, uh, for marriage and sex and money and work and dating than how far is too far. God doesn't want you to ask, is it legal or moral? God wants you to ask, is it wise? So God wants you to learn his will, and he wants you to comprehend, understand, and do it. And some of you, quite honestly, some of you are going, well, I don't really want to ask God's will because I know the answer and I don't want to do it. So what does that say about you? What does that tell you about you? 
just in case you, you don't know this, let me tell you a little secret about Jesus. He didn't come to dumb down the standards for our lives. He came to raise them. And when you follow his standard, that's a life of wisdom. And you get the blessings of your heavenly father. And so here's the thing. If you don't want to do God's will, your heart is hard. Hard-hearted people make stupid decisions. So if you want to change your life, then, then maybe you should get on a different path. Because if you want to end up in a different place, shouldn't you take a different path? What's the harm in trying something different than what you've been doing before? If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? I want to challenge you to ask it in three levels. Number one, in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? So here's the question you ask. In light of what happened to me last time I went there, I don't know where there is for you, but when I went there last time, this bad thing happened. So what makes you think when you go there again, the bad thing won't happen again? In light of what happened when she asked me to come over last time, what is the wise thing for me to do today? In light of what happened the last time I went traveling with the guys on a guy's trip, in light of what happened, what is the wise thing for me to do today? If you're divorced, what is the wise thing for you to do? Is it wise for you to start dating the day after your divorce is final? Is it wise for you to start dating before your divorce is final? If you're deeply in debt, is it wise to have a credit card? Is it wise to charge anything? How, how did that work out for you last time? If it didn't work out last time, it's probably not going to work out in the future. So the wise thing is to, to get away from it. If you are dating in light of your past relationships, should you be dating a jerk right now? If you look at your life and you go, why do my relationships always end up in the same place? Let me tell you why. It's because they always start in the same place. It starts not with you asking, what is the wise thing to do? It starts with you being lonely and going, eh, it'll do. Right? If you struggle with drugs and alcohol, is it wise to be around that stuff? If you struggle with pornography, is it wise not to have a filter on your internet? And let me just mention several things that we have going on. Um, we've got Celebrate Recovery. We still, we don't do the, the large group meetings on Sunday nights, but we have one-on-one or, or step study meetings. And, and why do you go to a step study? It's so that you can get healed God's way. Is it because it's convenient and easy and popular and, and fun? No, it's the wise thing to do. Why do we have small groups at our house on Sunday nights and we have them at a few other homes in the church on Sunday nights? Is it because it's easy to have that every week? No, it's the wise thing to do. And let me tell you what's happening. We've, we've had our group two weeks and already I see people opening up and I see because what happens in my home and what happens in the other homes that, that are hosting is church. Can I just tell you that? God moves more in my living room than he does in this room. That's because you can worship in a crowd, but you can't fellowship in a crowd. You can't ask some questions. And, and what's going on in the small groups is huge. And life change happens in small groups, not in large groups. We have men's groups that are meeting on, on Sunday morning, and, and we are learning what it means to be a biblical man. And I've told those guys this morning, I'm so proud of these guys that keep coming and keep coming. And what I'm seeing God do in their life, I go home just pumped about what God's doing in their lives. I know our ladies meet, and they have a Bible study, and I'm excited what I hear is going on in the ladies' groups. These triads, if you'll get involved in a triad, it's not easy, it's not convenient, but it's wise, and God's going to rock you. There's um, Financial Peace University. 
Based on your past with money, is it wise for you to miss FPU again? We've got to start asking these things. We do it because we want to get healthy in all areas of our lives God's way. So you ask, in light of my past experiences, what is a wise thing to do? Level two, in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? So based on reality where your life is right now, in light of this season of my life, what is the wise thing to do? Now, there's a difference in a season of life and a way of life. A season has an ending. A way of life keeps going and going and going, and it wears you down. For example, I, I remember, I was thinking through this. I remember when my kids were little and in diapers. You know, we had three kids under the age of seven, under the age of six, six, four, yeah. Actually, five, yeah. We, we had, Hannah was born when Caleb was five, right. So I remember when dirty diapers, I, rem- <laughs> I remember when Caleb would come in and, you know, I'm tired and he stinks and, and I'm like, where's mama? And, and he would go in the, the, the kitchen looking for her and she, she smart. It, it took like once or twice and she go, did daddy send you in here? Go tell daddy, he better change your diaper. And I remember going through all that and I remember when their friends came over, all their friends were in diapers and I was like, dude, I got to change my kids and then your kids. And I remember when, when Hannah was the last one, when she got out of diapers, she was, that was like this new freedom. And my kids from a young age could dress themselves. They could brush their teeth. They could potty and they could even cook their own meal. And we had this rule. If your friends can't dress themselves, brush their teeth, potty and cook their own meal, they're not welcome in our home (laughs) because we've paid the debt. And then, you know, my kids are all teenagers. Now we're at a new stage of life. And, and I, I absolutely adore my kids. I love being with my family. But there are times Janie and I go and do things just the two of us. And, and we're not going to be that couple that when our kids are gone, we don't know each other. We're cheering our kids on. We want them to be as successful. We're their greatest fans. But they're going to leave us. And so we spend a whole lot of time making sure that our relationship is healthy. I like her. I like spending time with her. And, and, and as much as I love my children, do anything for my children. My life isn't going to fall apart when they leave. My marriage isn't going to fall apart because we're constantly asking, what can we be doing? Now, how does this apply to, to our, our current situation? Okay, we're at a new reality, but when our kids were little, Janie missed a lot of church, not because she wanted to, because, but because our kids were sick all the time. You got three kids under five, everybody's sick of something. And, and she missed church not because she wanted to, because if your kids are wise, is it, if your kids are wise, if your kids are sick, is it wise to take them where a whole bunch of kids are? No. And I understand, some, we've had some moms tell me, I'm so tired of missing church. You know, we have the crying babies room. We project it out into the living room. And so if you need to bring a kid with a snotty nose and just hang on to them, that's fine. We want you to be able to do that. Don't put them back in the nursery because it's hard enough to get your kid well. So you just look at your current situation and you say, should I do this? Is it wise? In light of your current financial situation, is it wise to buy a new car? If you're going through FPU, Dave Ramsey says, you shouldn't buy a brand new car until you got a million dollars in the bank. It's not saying you don't buy another vehicle. He just tells you that you need to buy used vehicles because you get a better deal for them. Is it wise to go on that vacation? We have a separate envelope just for vacations. And, and if I do anything extra, it goes in the cruise fund. 
If, if I do a wedding and somebody gives me money for that, it goes in there. If I have change in my pocket, it goes in there. And, and when we go on a cruise, it's when we've saved enough money that we can go on a cruise. It doesn't come out of the regular budget. Do things that are wise with your money if you want to have a different future. In light of the current status of your marriage, is it wise for you to be spending so much time away from home at work? In light of your current relationship with your kids and the fact that your kids are temporarily in your home, is it wise for you to be away from home so much? Should you buy that new house, open that new credit card, or skip FPU again? Is that wise? Never do you hear someone say, you know, I waited entirely too long to open up that credit account. Man, my life had been better if I'd have just gotten in debt sooner. You never hear people say, I waited too long after my divorce to get married. I should have just gone out and gotten hitched immediately. But my phone is blown up with text messages, and I'm doing a lot of counseling of people saying, oh, I should have waited. If only I had waited, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in right now. So this question, you say, looking at my life right now, what is wise? And, and the Bible says, we, we prayed this, I've prayed this several times this week. In James, it says, if you don't have wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and he will give it to you. But when you ask, don't doubt, because a man who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And then it says, let not that man think he will receive anything from God, because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wisdom is seeing from God's perspective and putting it into practice. So what is the wise thing to do? Now, here's the last one. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Part of the reason, part, I'm not saying all, but part of the reason you're in the situation you're in right now is because of decisions you made three, five, ten years ago. And you're suffering the consequences of those decisions. Your own decisions, most of the time, sometimes it's other people's decisions, but your own decisions have robbed you of your future. You've robbed yourself, you've robbed your spouse of your future hopes and dreams. So in light of where you want to be, 5, 10, 30 years from now, what is the wise thing to do today? Your financial future will be determined by the decisions you make today. The health of your marriage tomorrow will be determined by the decisions you make today. The future relationships that I have with my children, that you have with your children, are going to uh, be the result of the choices we make while they are still living in our home. How do I know this? Because I'm looking into the faces of people whose lives have been devastated by the choices of their parents. I know your stories. And I don't want you to repeat the same mistakes. So don't don't feed me any line about your choices today will not affect future relationships. Don't pretend that you're being wise when you play games and tell me to lighten up. How far is too far? In most cases, the Bible doesn't tell us. But let me, let me apply this to that question. In light of what you want to tell your future spouse, teenagers, how far is too far? Because I have dear friends who, when they were ready to ask someone to marry them, had to look and say, I know you're a virgin, but let me tell you what I did with my virginity. And, and I've had grown men cry as they told me the hardest thing I've ever had to do was say to my virgin wife, you're not my first. In light of what you want to tell your children someday, how far is too far? I had a teenager in, in Arlington one time say, she raised her hand in the middle of a talk like this. And she goes, I've decided how far is too far for me. Pretty blonde girl. And I said, well, how far is too far? And she said, anything below the neck is off limits till I'm married. I'm like, that's pretty good. 
I'll go for that. So how many sexual partners do you want to have? Because here's the thing. You will bring every sexual partner you've had into your marriage. Because when you have sex with someone, you give away a part of your soul. It's the way God designed it. So in light of all of that, how many sexual partners do you want your spouse to have had? Now, I'm not trying to beat you down over your past. Do you understand? I'm trying to make you aware that you can have a better future. The whole beautiful things, God can, God can radically change you. And I'm watching it happen on a weekly basis. I'm seeing God rock people's lives. But you've got to make that choice to move from stupidity to wisdom. And if you don't have wisdom, then you find the wisest people you know and you pick their brain. What would you do? Remember, we talked about this before. What would you do if you were in my situation? You're a few years down the road. What did you do in my situation? And listen and let somebody else make some of those mistakes. No one plans to mess up their lives. No one gets married saying, oh, I'm going to get divorced in, in 162 days. No one sets out to be bankrupt or to have thousands of dollars in debt. No one plans to get pregnant at a young age. No one plans to raise a rebellious child that they have to bail out of jail. No one plans to become addicted to something. But we don't plan not to. See, no one plans to do those things, but we also don't go to the other side and plan not to. How do you plan not to fail? By asking the best question ever. In light of my past, my experiences, where I've been, what should I be doing today so that I don't go back there? In light of my current situation, whether married, single, children, not, wherever you are, what is the wise thing to do? And then in light of what I want five or ten years down the road, what is the wise thing to do? Look what Solomon said in Proverbs about wisdom. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-six. He who trusts in himself is a what? But he who walks in wisdom, remember wisdom is seeing from God's perspective and putting it into action. He who walks in God's wisdom is, done, is what? Kept safe. You want to foolproof your decision-making process. You ask, what is the wise thing, remembering that wisdom is God's perspective, and it's not wisdom until you do it. Don't you want to be wise? You can be. And just think if you'd asked this question 10 years ago. Just think of the pain that you would have avoided. Just go back three years ago, and if you could have asked this about your finances, think of all the money you would have saved if you just asked this question. We can't change the past, but we can, with God's help, change our future. Let's pray together. God... Palestine, Anderson County, desperately needs an infusion of wisdom. The churches of this city, the churches within driving distance need wisdom. Your children need wisdom. My children need to see me exhibit wisdom. Teach us what it means to be wise, and then give us the boldness to step out and obey you regardless of the cost. And make a difference in our future, but in our children's future, in our church's future, because of this incredible infusion of the Holy Spirit's wisdom into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.